Good. Let's do it. And we're already doing it, Dennis. Dennis. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the podcast. Episode 11. Oh my gosh. Who knew it would be this exciting? You know, I saw something and I don't believe this necessarily, except I guess, I guess it kind of makes sense. This hmm. is one of the, the, this podcast is in the top 10th percentile. No. Top 10 percentile. How do you say that? I don't, that sounds 90, right. not, It's not like one tenth. It's top 10% of, uh, of podcasts by listeners. And I think it's because it's a bunch of people started podcasts that nobody has ever listened to. Or like they oh. do. Including our former namesake, the former winner of or holder of the shared secrets. Yeah, but she did it for like three years. Uh, Ooh, we're just okay. now rising to the gr- g- the Google search uh, search engine optimization. We you and I spent about forty four thousand dollars in uh, consulting <laughs> on search engine op- optimization just to break through that one gap. So mm-hmm. we really I, hope that eventually, when we try to monetize this thing, we make that money back. But oh yeah, you know. yeah. Unfortunately, and also we we targeted all our advertising to Singapore, as we found out as well. That's why we're so <laughs> oh, yeah, happy we're today. crushing it. Yeah. Thanks, Ollie. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so we it's going to be one of those episodes. We we've got a great throwback with Josh, uh, Josh Berry, our my, my friend and former both of our former colleague, um, and. I wanted to just do a real quick little shared secret about something that I think might be helpful for people, but I, I see kind of a problem a lot. There's two words in the English language that sound, uh, I, I would, they're essentially uh, homonyms, okay. two words that mean different things that sound the same. Yes. And <laughs> creates a lot of problems in our risk management program. Do you know what, what two words I'm thinking about? Mm. Two words that sound alike but mean different things. I'm going to say threat. Is threat one of them? Or no? Well, it would be yeah. one word. But I yeah. think threat, I, here, here's what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, what the heck am I saying? I risk no. to accept risk. And sometimes I think people are saying E-X-C-E-P-T. <laughs> you know, and sometimes I think people are saying A-C-C-E-P-T. <laughs> Okay, right. those are not risk. homonyms. Yeah, well, how do you say it? How do you say both words? How do you say one word and how do you say the other words? Now, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to look up. Yeah, actually, let's see. <laughs> I think that they're almost homonyms if they're not. I mean, I, in your head, you know which word you're saying, but they sound identical, right? Accept okay. and accept. Yeah. I say I'm the same. But the point is they mean two vastly different things, and we use both in our risk management processes, right? Yeah, yes. Well, I mean, give an example of accept risk, EX. A risk exception, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, I want to accept this thing. Uh, and, and allow it, or, you know, I want to recognize that it did not follow the process, right? I want to raise an exception around something to accept, uh, as a, as a verb specify as not included in a category of group, right? <clears throat> so if something doesn't follow the rules, I want to accept it and say, and raise an exception and investigate why it didn't happen and all this stuff, right? Yes. And then on the other hand, I want to accept it as, Okay, that's that's allowable in this particular circumstance. And I think both of these things we do, both of these things we generally need to have processes for, but because they mean such vastly different thing, I think they end up really muddling some risk management stuff when we say this is okay for a, the time being or even this is not okay, but we are aware of it. Um I think that we get into some some areas of real uh, confusion, which is like the worst thing that can happen when we're talking about something, you know, that might pose risk to our, our enterprises. Right. Hmm. Yes. And I would like to actually, yes, for the record, you're correct. These are homonyms. Yeah. 
uh, I know, <laughs> but uh, let me. What do you do? You do you admit that you've seen? Have you ever seen confusion around these two things? Have you when when somebody says risk exception, I almost always ask at this point, like, "Hey, is that with an A or with an E?" <laughs> so um, because I've seen, you know, it gets kind of converted. I'm not even sure exception with a with an A is a word, but <clears throat> I, I see some some uh, some quirky language and i see people that maybe started off with a process that was meant to raise awareness that something didn't do you know didn't satisfy you know okay we're gonna we're gonna track this because we know it couldn't comply with something Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden a year later it's like well we already accepted that risk right (laughs) like i think i've seen over time you know things things change and um, I, 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 yeah, to me, I think it's, it's, uh, at maybe half the places I go, I see a, a real lack of clarity around when we approve something maybe, uh, or, or when we kind of analyze something and say something's okay. And we're accepting with an A, the risk of something, is that a permanent thing? Is that a temporary thing? Or are we just actually raising an exception that we're going to track and hope to get that into compliance later. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's I would say for mostly about. for internal policies, I definitely find that the risk exception process leads finally when push comes to shove to risk acceptance. Mm. Uh, but for more regulated industries, right, where it's actually an audit finding then it truly is an exception until that you know audit finding is closed those they are those you know i think the lack of clarity in your sentence is exactly what i was going for in my be careful <laughs> I, I i think that these the you know it's it's just such a tough um you know construct of of language i guess that these two things one you know, they, they mean completely different things, but they can be used, um, you know, they sound exactly the same and they imply, you know, both the, the verb forms could be, could be misconstrued. Um, you know, and, and I think that, I think there's a lot of problems that a lot of people that have actually, mm, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, I've never tried heard to do anyone use and, say risk, except meaning risk, E-X-C-E-P-T. Oh, what about I'm an exception to a process, right? Yeah, but I'm just like, saying, uh, like that's managing really... exceptions to a process, managing yeah, that, it's to a, ex- yeah, but the the dominant word that is used in conversation is exception. Not with an A, ex- the exception with an A isn't a word. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's what I thought you were saying. Oh, I mean, actually, it is. <laughs> I, I think it is an old, like old English word or something. Like that. <laughs> I think it is an old English word. I'm trying. I was uh, just double checking because maybe I'm putting my foot in my mouth as I've already done uh, once. Well, on this I, short, I, short episode. The point. The point. <laughs> the point of the secret is that these are two dangerously interchangeable things that uh, really hurt clarity. So maybe don't use either of them. <laughs> um, but uh, when you're trying to use one, make sure you stick to it. And uh, I don't know, <laughs> you know, but violation temporary, you know, have a, have a temporal element to say, how long are you going to be okay with something not following the rules? And, um, and then when you're, when you're fully risk managing something and, and, um, approving of the risk, maybe approval, um, you know, or something like that, because yeah, there's some concrete problems that can really come from, from the, the similarity and the, uh, ambiguity of, of when these two words get mixed up. Um, which we're even doing in this conversation, right? So proof. Well, <laughs> the exception with an A is a fit, uh, is not a word. Sure, but when it's saying, if we're going to risk accept something, mm-hmm. that can be either. Or yeah, but use risk <laughs> accept ec or ex. Uh, like use that in a sentence. I mean that <laughs> just never well, hear they that. applied they they applied for a deviance against this process, so mm-hmm. we risk accepted it. 
we accepted it from our risk process. Hmm. That is the, okay. I mean, I guess that. To exclude from a category or group. Yes. Yep. I mean, that is the first time I've ever heard someone use it. In it's that. not, like, okay. That might be the first time that somebody's pointed out that they were, you know, like you don't see, uh, you know, you, maybe you haven't seen it written before, or maybe, maybe. Mm, wrong, I see what you're saying. People okay. Say yep. both. I've just always assumed that everyone's always saying risk ACC. That's what you mean. Uh-huh. That's why I got to share the got secret it. because people share make yeah, these I guess, assumptions. Okay. Now, I, now I will ask when I hear someone say that. Yeah. Yeah. A deviation is, mm-hmm. is like to, to accept something as a deviation. E-X-C-E-P-T. Okay. Well, um, rate me. Rate me. I mean, what do you uh, got? Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I'll give you a little bit of benefit of the doubt for, for the example there. But 11 say, out of 10. Nah, we're going to get a new. I think, I mean, I'm like mm, two. I feel like. Hmm. I take exception to what you're saying with an A. <laughs> the old English exception. So you agree with this then? Yes, I accept okay. your rating of, of okay. a two with a, with an A, but I take exception to it as a friend with an E. Mm. Well, as I you should. Like been, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's it is something to to make sure you have clarity about in your program, especially if you're writing policy and you know, I'm not. I'm not always the most particular uh, writer. You've copy edited some of my work before. You can you can attest to that. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, be careful out there with uh, with these two things because they sound a lot like. Um, even if it's only a too big deal on Dennis's radar. <laughs> Dennis, who did we talk to on the throwback this week? Josh Barry. Josh, did you ever get to work with Josh on any projects when? I mean, uh, did, did you work? I with don't think so. Um, mm. You're a loss, man. You're a loss. Yeah, he sounds very interesting. <sighs> Josh is awesome. Um, so Josh is uh, um, has has done a lot of things. He's a, a, a hardware guy, you know, uh, through through and through. Um, electrical engineering background, you know, we, we talk about, uh, a bunch of the interesting jobs that he's had on the podcast, so I won't get too into that, but, um, you know, lately in Josh's career, he's, he's really been doing some interesting, uh, uh, embedded security work. Um, and I, I am just usually in awe of a lot of things about Josh, including one, he's just like the nicest guy I know. And two, I just, on on the on the next level in terms of uh some of the things he's he understands that uh I, I find almost inapproachable so um but uh yeah really really cool conversation about how how Josh got started on that and um yeah well, let's throw back to uh to Josh Thanks. All right Josh my friend how are you Yeah doing well how are you Kevin uh, I am I am really good, and I, I greatly appreciate. It. I know you got a, a bunch of kids running around and are trying to do a million things. So, so thank you so much for making the time to squeeze this in. Yeah, no problem. So we've you've listened to a couple episodes. We've been playing the "What Was Your First Computer Game?" most of the time. I don't know a bunch about your computer, um, and we'll we'll get into our our kind of friendship relationship at the time. You are the same age as roughly, or the same grade at least as Dop and Trent. So you're that four years kind of older bump. Um, I remember at least the static name of your computer when you would dial in was adagio.bcl.net. And based on that and my Googling, I just assume it was kind of slow because <laughs> apparently Google tells me that adagio is the uh, musical term for, for getting slower and slower. But what is that right? What, or, yeah, or that was an any? early handle. Um, you know, okay. whenever we had a chance to kind of choose things, that was something that came up. And it was one, it was honestly, it was a license plate of someone, um, someone in, you know, building a, uh, the music side of, of high school had that license plate and it stuck with me. It's like, that was a really cool, um, yeah, it was a really cool kind of music, uh, term. And then I thought, you know, look, and there wasn't a whole lot, uh, that, you know, those were all available. Of course, in the early days of (laughs) when I was trying to use it, there wasn't a whole lot, you know, of, uh, of interest in using up handles. So, but yeah, so that was kind of the earliest handle that. Okay. um, So that was actually more of a handle that became the static account name or something like that. Yeah. Do do you, 
Do you want to uh, talk about a, a favorite early computer or what was yeah, the first sure. computer you kind of grew yeah, up on? So, yeah, just- so there was my, my first computer was, um, it was a IBM PC XT. It was the family computer. My, my grandfather worked at IBM and he was able to get kind oh. of a cost or a discount, uh, one of the XTs. So the XT was an 8088, um, system. I have one. It came, okay. So, you know, so, so it came with, mm-hmm. um, with, with, uh, with RAM that were in the, you know, the dip packages. And so it came yep. with, came with 256 upgradable to 640, uh, famously. Through an ice, an eight bit Isaac, or, or at least ours had an eight bit Isaac card that had additional, I think it was made by quad RAM, but it had the additional like 480 K or something like that on that eight bit Isaac card. But yeah, yeah, I believe it was. So this, I, I, you could say this is the first computer, but honestly, that was more my dad's computer. It was given to the family, but I had to ask permission to use it. And it was only uh-huh. if he was home and we could only, it was very heavily chaperoned. So I was okay. probably eight when we got that. But my dad started learning leaps and bounds with that. Like he upgraded that. He got, you know, upgraded hard disk. Um, yeah. actually put in a, uh, so if you know what? that computer, like we, it came with two, three, k five and a quarter discs. Yeah. And uh, side by side bays. Yep. Side by side bays. And then, so your dad probably sacrificed one half of it and did like a three and a half inch. Yeah, he had, we had the half, drive. the half height ones. So they were yeah. one top on okay, top of gotcha. each other. And then we had an, an MFM, it was RLL. So you, the MFM discs, there was like a, an optional card, um, mm-hmm. It wasn't an ISA. It was the eight, whatever the eight bit um, bus was. Maybe it was. ISA oh, I thought bus. it was eight bit ISA. But yeah, yeah, I, I think it. Right. I guess yeah. I'd have to look back. Uh, and then like a I don't CGI. know if ISA was was only sixteen bit or. But anyway, it, uh-huh. yeah. I, I honestly haven't dealt with that in a long time. So yeah, that was, no worries. Yeah. So so yeah. So it was it was a card that would do the RLL encoding um, on M, an MFM disc, and you know to be able to install it, there was no like here's the cd like you had to do a debug command to initiate you know to access the rom it was on the card right. like that kind of thing gotcha to configure the thing but so that, that was, was running- that was that was the family's computer my mm-hmm. like my first rig that i could turn on and turn off and do whatever i wanted to was was a few years later probably it was a it was a 286 uh that i pieced together from spare parts mostly from ham and from you know things that have been upgraded by my dad um and yeah, th- threw together a, a 286 system. Initially had it one meg of RAM. Um, ran Windows 3.1, but Windows even, Windows kind of needed um, Windows and Linux needed a 32-bit OS okay. uh, for like yep. later things. But you could go to like Windows 3.1, and there's some um, yeah, some kind of wimpy modes that you could kind of get it in to be it able would, to do yeah, things with it. Yeah, it would default down to. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. so that that was that. But then pretty soon thereafter, I just had a, a 386SX and later uh, like a Cyrix 5X86 um, that I okay. had. Yeah. So, well, that, that'll dovetail because you, you mentioned your dad quite a bit in that. So that'll dovetail well into your story, which your dad is actually a big part of, of my story as well because he was a, a very active early um, technology adopter in, in our hometown growing up and thing like that. Very, yeah, very active was. in the community. Yeah. So um, we'll get into that in a second. So you listened to a couple episodes ahead of time and you listened to the game we played with Trent, which was, will you admit to this? So I had a lot of fun with that game and your <laughs> game is uh, Josh, what did you do? And these are interesting jobs you've had throughout your life. So we're okay. only going to talk about kind of your your early years in, in high school in terms of, of most of this podcast, but uh, here here are some jobs that I have pieced together over over the years, and I, I want you to uh, just give an acknowledgement if this in, did in fact uh, you do you did do these things. So first job I remember you as a freshman you were like a Quincy School computer aide. You came to my fifth grade class to fix a sound card for my fifth grade teacher you know, on behalf of the Quincy public school systems. Is that true? That's true. Yeah. I worked for Tom Dieters uh, at the high school and got to travel around a little nice. bit servicing yeah. systems. Yeah. Who yeah, was the technology with, director for the di- d- district? Yep. Um, yes. Yep. That was him. I worked with uh, Andy Withers and Matt Pepping. Um, mm-hmm. I think in those, yeah, with those, I don't know if you're able to to get those. Yeah, Matt Pepping famously refuses to be on the podcast, so that's good. <laughs> and I don't know Andy, but um, okay, moving on. Uh, 
you you had an internship at Intel where you did flash memory design. Yep, also did that. That was in late 90, 99. Um, yeah, summer. And uh, it was, I think it was, that was just an internship during this. Gotcha, yep. Yeah. Another, yep, another internship. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Another internship doing integrated circuit design at TI. So some, two of these like very technical deep dive internships, which you'll, will start to follow some, some, uh, <laughs> some, some interesting, uh, paths coming up here in a second. But those, I mean, those seemed like pretty intense, um, you know, hardware internships. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for Intel, it was more VLSI, um, system where it's a lot of logic. Now that, that said, they were uh, NOR flash units that have uh, basically there's a there's a there's an extra gate on the the memory storage units where you're able to kind of I, I could I could go into uh, more detail later maybe but basically mm-hmm. you could store you could store logic and they were very kind of analog the way that that you would be able to run the circuitry uh, but okay. there was just a lot of logic there so it was more like uh, you know it's a memory storage thing it's a it's a flash memory at TI it was more power management device that had to deal with uh, a lot more analog circuitry power you know switch switching converter you know switching power supply uh, charge pump. Um, had a nice squared C interface for, for being able to communicate to it, um, which was a lot of gates, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of analog circuitry in that, which is just great background for being able to understand how the real world, how ugly, you know, the real world is and how difficult it is to, to go from ones and zeros to, to something that's actually can communicate and send that information out to another and, system. And, and, after this lightning round, I'll, I'll uh, explain to people why I have no idea, really. Uh, this is a non-shared space. As much overlap as we do have, my my knowledge of, of hardware is pretty minimal. But that I, I think that that was really, um, really great that you, you were able to dive into that a little bit. Um, okay, now uh, dovetail into algebra and geometry teacher in northern Thailand. Yeah, yeah, in Chiang Mai. I... Um... So I, I had worked through, so this is right after college at this point. So mm-hmm. I, after college, I worked um, in Austin, Texas for a few years. And uh, like I kind of had a call of the wild or a desire to go out um, and, and travel and to see more. Um, I didn't want to get stuck in a rut of, of missing out on what the world had to offer. And I had visited Thailand. I'd visited Asia, both through... Um, through friends that I had made out there while I was an exchange student um, and mm-hmm. friends of friends that I was hoping to meet. And so anyway, long story short, I ended up visiting this community in Northern Thailand with, a, with another friend from, um, from Singapore and uh, where I'd, I'd been an exchange student at National University of Singapore, um, you know, years earlier, visited and thought, oh my goodness, I could live here. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'd met, I'd met local, I basically I'd met some people, um, that were at, that were, that were local, they were missionaries, but they were so well adapted to the culture and to the, to the place, you know, like, so, I mean, go visit yep. their church. And there were actually, you know, people, there were students from the community that were just hanging out. So there was a sense of community of belonging of, of there were Westerners like myself that were learning the language. And I thought, Oh my goodness, this is, this is something I could get into. And so once I had that, that feeling, that desire, it just overwhelmed everything else. So I figured out how I was going to go move, um, move to this community. Uh, and so I studied, studied some ESL course, some quick course had enough use in Australia and it was an Australian. Yeah, it was an Australian company, but it was actually in Chiang Mai. Okay. I'm not sure how gotcha. you found, dug that up. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, man. I'm, I've, I've done research here. My research then <laughs> yeah. led me, uh, to Shepherd's Apprentice in New Zealand. Yeah. So I, um, yeah. So I ended up, I was in Thailand for, for a number of years and moved to New Zealand, um, to, that was more of a, a case of, I was getting a lot of, although I'm a Christian, I wasn't, didn't really necessarily know like a lot about Christianity. I kind of came to faith Mm -hmm. later in life. And there was this Bible college that was in New Zealand that I thought, you know, this is, this is a great opportunity. Um, The staff there were like, Hey, we understand you're, you know, you'd like to study here. We'll do everything we can to try to accommodate. Um, 
like they helped me, you know, to be able to do all the, all the types of things to be able to go there. But like, you know, I was, I was kind of short in cash. I'd been working as a Thai teacher, you know, making whatever it was, maybe $700 a month, which is, <laughs> is not a ton of money, you know, for an American, but there it was enough. But anyway, uh, so then I had the opportunity to work on a sheep farm on all the breaks. And so, um, so yeah, Alan, I want to say his last name is uh, Hastings, maybe. Uh, anyway, I worked on his on his farm, um, on all the breaks. So I, so he kind of taught me the ropes of, of, you know, animal husbandry, um, taking care of lambs, feeding out, you know, just doing all the menial tasks that needed to be done. Like I just, he'd be like, you do this. He had me use some machinery once and he's like, yeah, uh, I'm really careful (laughs) about who I let use my front end loader, uh, to move, to do work. And, uh, thank you. I've seen enough. (laughs) And that was that, like I never got a second chance. Like, darn it. Nice. I really wanted to operate machinery too. All right. N- not done quite yet. Maritime radio operator for a harbor, I think, in New Zealand. Yeah, that was more. Um, so I went through all the training and I was, you know, shadowing, but I never got to actually do the uh, the New Zealand, like work for okay. the, the uh, um, I'm trying to think of the maritime body is there, but to be able to work the emergency bands or whatever, to be able to gotcha. take calls They're and work traffic. Of the Coast Guard yeah. yeah, so it was a, it was a volunteer uh, position, but it was basically the ham radio, the, the amateur radio uh, group in, in New Zealand was really tight knit. And they, there was one of the guys in my club was like, you should get into this. It's a great skill to have. If you want to, you know, get on ships or something and be the the radio guy, that's, that's one way that you can, you know, get a ride <laughs> somewhere is to be the radio guy. It's like, Oh, that sounds <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so yep, that's, so, that's true. So cool. And that's just a taste. So, you know, let's, let's go back and kind of talk about, you know, before any of these jobs, um, you, you and I grew up in the same, again, Quincy, Illinois together. Yeah. Um, uh, you were, you are my sister's age and unlike Dop and Trent who, um, really had some high school classes with my sister, you were, you were with my sister the entire time, really. I don't know in elementary school, but yeah, not elementary, but like from very young, yeah, age. fourth yeah. grade. Yeah. With Dr. Okay. Ginley's, um, math class or I mean his, yeah, his class uh-huh. in fourth grade so, all the way through so, pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know how old in fourth grade, but basically like I was six when I, when I met you for the first time and you were also <laughs> yeah. like this, um, you were even then you were, were uh, a kind of a, a technical whiz kid and, and kind of, I, I was starting to sprout in that direction. So um, a, a lot of kind of, of me looking up to uh, some of the projects you were working on in school. And I think, uh, you know, anytime you did a science project that, that had a technical edge, I was always trying to peek over your shoulder and see what was going on. So <laughs> That's cool. um, I, I remember that quite a bit. And another thing that, I mean, to this day, I mean, you and I actually now work together. Um, so so I, I know this to be true is just, you're just one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. So maybe you were uh, particularly, uh, uh, I, I don't think you were being particularly nice to me, but um, yeah, I, I, you always let me look over your shoulder and, and peek in and you came, you know, when you came to fix the computer in Mr. Shran's class or whatever, which I think <laughs> was like a weird sound card driver thing. Yeah. You didn't shy away from, from letting me <laughs> no, kind I, of nose in and, and see what yeah. was going on. So no, I remember, I remember that visit. Oh, uh, but I don't, what I don't remember is that you, <laughs> you coming and talking to me. <laughs> That's oh, funny. Yeah. I was too I was busy. Right there. No, I got, I got in trouble actually for that, that service call. Not, not because of anything I did technically, but uh, I learned actually a tremendously valuable non-technical lesson during that. So just review, I mean, you probably didn't want to talk any about this, but no, that, yeah, that call was, was one of those that actually was, was probably the most th- valuable thing that I learned while working for, for Mr. Dieters, uh, for Tom Dieters was, uh, the, the importance of diplomacy. He's, he's basically, mm-hmm. he, he brought me to his office after doing that call. Um, and he said, okay, I need to teach you a little bit about diplomacy. And then he went into details on what I could have done better. The problem was that the, 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 the machine that had been bought for, for Mr. Schrand was, was an IBM machine where, the specifications were amazing on it, but the reality was it didn't have, say, sound blaster compatibility, ad lib compatibility. No, and if you remember it the early DOS, yeah. early Windows drivers, like didn't it, the, they were either supported or not 
And there were a lot of things that were would just fall into, we're just going to be a clone of this other card that's mm-hmm. well-supported and it inherited support. Well, IBM decided they weren't going to do that in the same way. And uh, and and the, the problem was that a lot of the software that Mr. Schrand had uh, didn't support that. So you could have, yeah, it doesn't matter what amazing wavetable synthesis the card has. Uh, if it's right. not supported, it's not supported. And so, so that was actually one of the, for a very different reason, uh, you know, and, and Mr. Strand basically, basically I, I was just like, yeah, you, you probably need to buy a sound card. This, the, what's, what's included here isn't supported. It's, it's pretty much useless. And it, you know, he took that as what, this is what they told me to get, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I didn't really cover for Mr. Mr. Dieters in that case. Yeah. Oh, so that was a valuable I mean, that's lesson. Good. Yeah. And I, I mean, I remember that too, because as the computer hotshot in that class, even though I was a fifth grader, I was first line technical support for that hunk of junk the entire year that I was there. So <laughs> and I it needed it. Oh that. man. Yeah. Um, so, and then part of this, I mean, I mean, just, um, maybe related to your, your kindness or whatever, we're, we're talking to, you know, Trent and Dop and shenanigans they got into over, over the years. My impression of you is that you were either too busy, um, too busy with school, too busy with music or too nice of a person or just really good at hiding it. But I don't really remember you trying to get any into any trouble on the, uh, the, the low key hacking side of things, but I may be totally wrong. So um, yeah, if it was the last, I probably wouldn't admit to it now. Right. <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> full disclosure of, of how things work, but um, yeah, I don't know if it was that I was too nice, but I definitely was, was had other commitments, you know, like just like your sister yeah, Shireen, really yeah, busy, very active, busy, very active with with music. I was also very like, whereas Trent and Dop would say would look at the, do the the cost benefit analysis of doing their homework or doing things, or mm-hmm. like I was more had a lot of pressure from home and from myself to to be excellent, you know, academically, and so I would put in a lot of extra time with, with homework and things like that. So I, I had probably a little bit less time maybe because of those, you know, because of music and because trying to be, you know, be excellent, excellent yep. as in get good grades, right. Whatever that, that right. means. But that said, I did really, um, I did really also, you know, have time for other things. You know, I liked, I liked playing video games. I liked to learn how things worked. So it was more configuring that, for the sake of configuring. That's I re- a- yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's a great segue because like we've talked to folks like um, my buddy Dennis and, and Rob and, and how where I was working on and really fascinated about kind of putting these Legos together to operate, um, you know, infrastructure services and things like that. And they were really focused on, you know, the software and like creating something within it that, that did a new thing within software. The thing that I recognized about you is your passion actually was like more focus on tearing the existing building blocks down until you completely understood how they worked. I think at a very young age, you had this passion for understanding the low level and the hardware pieces. And if you didn't understand it, you didn't like incorporate it to build something new. You went down and and really picked it apart until you did understand it. And is that true? And where did you yeah, get that? I, I think there's vision? a lot of tr- truth to that. I'd like to see how all the pieces work together. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I, I didn't want there to be any black boxes that I hadn't kind of looked inside or, or at least had a, a bit of an understanding of. And it was, yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that was interesting one, but Which, the other was, it was always interesting to solve a problem, not with the newest, latest and greatest, but, with the most basic tools available. Like one thing that was fascinating to me and I used, you know, uh, quite a, quite a bit, I, I wanted to learn how it worked and to learn how to use it was a, was an abacus or a slide rule, like these old tools that were kind of state of the art at one point in time, you know, rather than just have this fancy calculator, right? Like we know the calculator can do it, but could I, could I solve this problem with something else? And likewise, why do I need a new fancy, um, pro, you know, piece of hardware to be able to solve this problem when I could really just do it with a couple logic gates or, you know, breadboard a circuit or something like that. And so, you know, it's just kind of a, I just wanted to see how to solve problems with the minimum uh, number of pieces or in the most elegant way, which, which I think is a really interesting 
way to solve a problem. And it's kind of has an application in the world for, for systems that have limited resources. You know, I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. say, embedded systems where you don't have unlimited power computing uh, in time. But like it needs to be real time. It needs to be done with a battery cell. And, you know, you've got whatever processor you can fit in that package that can, you know, be within the power budget, that kind of thing. And so some of the more one of the really interesting things that I got into I, that did actually other people did get to to interact with me on was the TI-85 calculator stuff. I did a lot of assembly programming for that. There was there was this guy. Um, I don't know if you remember Z-Shell. But it was, there was uh-huh. a guy, Magnus Hagender, that had found this exploit where you could uh, download it. Basically, you could, there, there was a way that you can plug into the, the kind of uh, the mini headphone jack port on the bottom of the, the TI calculator. Plug yeah, that into your computer. Which is actually some type of serial port. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was kind of like an uh, I squared C kind of thing, but with its own mm-hmm. way of protocol. Like it's right. loosely based on that, but you could, you could buy the official, uh, dongle that would plug into your parallel port or serial port, or you, I could, remember, build, yep. you could build one with some, re- a handful of resistors and, you know, and basically a cable that had been cut in half and you, you walk, s- soldered it into your system. Gotcha. Yeah, they, they were most, the stock cable that you got was like calculator to calculator. So you would sacrifice. Yeah. The one that came those. in the package, but you could buy one from mm-hmm. TI that would go to the mm-hmm. computer so that you could back up. You could do a backup to the computer basically. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that backup file, if you open it up, there was some, actually some code addresses or there's some code that could be executed. So you could modify the backup, upload it to your, your calculator and you could get some, you could actually run some assembly instructions, right? You could run some machine code that, right. that you were able to influence. And he found a way to be able to map the functionality. And anyway, all this to say that there would be a custom menu that would say Z shell. You hit that mm-hmm. and it would go in all these, these Z shell programs that have been sent up and used the, the kind of the SDK that he that he created for it would allow you to be able to run these. And it was just using assembly. And so that to me was fascinating because one, it was a perfect way that you could play video games in class. Right. And right. the teachers just thought, wow, they're, they're, they're using their calculators. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember the brick breaker and like a nibbler. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Game on yeah and so the ones I, I just did some simple fractal things that, that were interesting and uh, some cheat sheets the sense of like we could have cheat sheets in class, you know, it's not wow. like I was breaking rules, but to be able to have it in a compact, easy to, to, you know, read manner, you know, it mm-hmm. was, I mean, it, it was probably a simple, simple little thing, but you could but make that, your own font by flipping the individual pixels. <laughs> yeah, you could do. Yeah. I, I didn't do that, but I just used the, you know, the, the fonts right, that were yeah. included. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, and also, I mean, I guess I did do some programming. There was a, there was a physics test that we had where elastic collisions, um, what was that? The, uh, the physics teacher that we had anyway, um, he, John Baird. Yes. Yeah. John Baird. Yeah. In his class, um, where, you know, a huge part of taking the test was to do the elastic or inelastic collision mm-hmm. problem. When does the first ball hit? And then when does it hit the other ball? In the case that you have a three ball problem where the middle ball mm-hmm. is kind of moving fast, you know, there's going to be a lot of bouncing and moving. Um, and you know, what are their positions, etc. Well, if you do it by hand, it's, it's going to take a really long time, but if you do it, if you have a program that just allows you to put in the pr- in initial conditions and then just run through until they hit and tells you when it was really easy to solve. And I, I should have sold it to people. I didn't, I, I just let people copy it. Um, but, but after that, apparently, <laughs> uh, Mr. Barry was like, okay, that, uh, is a little too good. Like he had to kind of rethink his approach to that to doing that because it, it made gotcha. it a little too trivial um but yeah so that that was interesting doing the the ti calculator um work in programming and that was doing development on that was on a on a like a on a pc uh there was a table assembler um mm-hmm. and it was just basically uh uh i borrowed a book from the library that was z80 uh, assembly language and you know incorporate other code that you find over uh you know news groups and then like i can't remember if it was fidonet or if there was like a a digest or something that i got to be able to communicate with some of the you know the people enthusiasts but uh yeah that was all part of it 
Um, and it was a so, fl- I had a floppy disk that all the tools would be on, <laughs> including command com to be able to boot the disk. So I could bring it to school, to the lab or something, boot it, and then start working on development and, you know, had the drivers for... Oh, you had your own entire development. Yeah, I had a development boot disk. Yeah, yeah. So you could steal yeah. one of the computers at the... Yeah, lab. so I could just carry it with me, plug in, boot off of it, use it. Yeah. So... And, and in par- I mean, all this in parallel in school, the, the internet is becoming a thing and your dad is, is really pivotal as, I mean, he did things like coordinate a local um, internet user group, like new to internet come and we'll talk about new use cases and applications. Yeah. Um, he, he also did a bunch of web development trying, I think he, maybe I, by the name of it, I can assume it was kind of a vision uh, for him to kind of build a digital view of our community, you know, through that lens. And, yeah. um, uh, and, and then also, you know, an entrepreneurial spirit about that. So maybe, maybe you can connect the dots on, you know, what, while you were busy, you know, getting good grades and doing school uh, and, and same time, I imagine um, your, your dad is learning a whole bunch about computers um, in parallel, right? Yeah. So, so dad is, is, is learning about, um, you know, how to use computers. He's also, um, he's, he didn't have a, like a, a white collar job. He was, he was, he was a a machinist, um, at, at, at a a company that made parts for elevators, you know? So he's, he, he has Mm -hmm. a skilled trade, but at the same time he was at a workplace that didn't really appreciate their people, you know, sticking their nose into the office, you know, bothering the office people. Like he, at some point, Matt's dad actually worked at the same company, Matt Pepping. And, uh, Matt's dad was asking, talking to my dad about, you know, Matt's dad, I think he's an engineer, worked at the same company, but he was, he was in the Mm -hmm. office area. And, you know, he kind of was asking my dad about some, some technical question because my dad knew from a previous employment through programming, like he had done a lot of G code programming for, you know, for like positioning, like CNC type things. There were also some oh, other wow. things that he, that my dad, he, he, he was, he was blue, not, yeah, he was, he was blue collar in the sense that like, didn't have that office job, but he read a lot. He learned a lot. And, you know, so people would say like, oh yeah, John, John can do it. But then he seemed somehow had, had folks that would basically kind of limit they say like, no, your place is over there. <laughs> so, so he honestly, he really just wanted to get out of that job. He was looking okay. for any opportunity. So the, the opportunity he saw computers in a way he, part of it was he saw computers as a gateway to be able to get him out of, out of that job and which, mm-hmm. which was successful. The other was that he cared about the community and he really liked uh, seeing, you know, how could seniors uh, use mean, this? Clearly, how could other yeah. people learn about this? And so I didn't actually, a lot of the activities that, that dad coordinated and did started when I went to college. So I didn't really get to see him do any of that. Like, um, you know, I believe that you, you were able to go to, to the meetings and, and be involved in those, yeah. those kinds of things and well, see it, my dad in that, in that way. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I did I mean, not it, get to see that. It, in particular, a spinoff of one of his efforts was, um, and in fact, another kind of one of these guys, but uh, actually Dop's cousin, Tom, um, and, and your dad had this idea to, as a spinoff of the group that meets in the library, which most of those people were like, hey, I just got internet. You know, how do I talk to my aunt? Like your, your dad had a tremendous amount of um, patient, patience and energy towards introducing this entirely new technology, not just to, you know, young, um, you know, uh, young professionals, but through the entire spectrum of the community, as you said, like there was a focus even on, uh, donating, um, equipment to, um, you know, the senior resident homes and things like that. So, um, really passionate about making this accessible to everything, every, and including catering towards and opening this door to, uh, you know, folks like Eric and myself who were a little bit younger than you guys, but, 
you know, we participated in things like that Unix uh, and Perl special interest group and, you know, things got, you know, very advanced from, you know, so, so kind of the whole spectrum there. And, and um, yeah, like that was my door. That was in a door that was open because of your dad. Um, for me, that was, I, I can't imagine what, what would have happened, uh, you know, if I didn't have that kind of access. So um, yeah, really cool. continues to, to be impactful, um, you know, for, for me and building on that. But now, Here's here's a fun thing about your dad too is some of this stuff is still operating and I checked out what was going on on the virtual Quincy website <laughs> and I found a Y2K bug. So yeah, I, I know I saw I saw that, that as well. The year <laughs> I don't know when he has uh, it's, <laughs> updated it's, that it's, or when he plans to. <laughs> it's only the second Y2K bug I've ever personally encountered. The, the first one is <laughs> right. I had a, uh, the year is 120. Is, is it something like yeah. that? <laughs> Yep, it, it's a two-digit, uh, you know, integer. It's basically just an integer year instead of a uh, any type of. But yeah, it's so cool. Um, so you have. So did, was was he similarly? Um, I, I mean, he so he provided some access to to you, but did. did uh, it, it sounds like if at the house or whatever, you, you kind of hit the ground running and we're tearing things apart and uh, building computers out of, out of scrap. You mentioned going to Hamfest. Um, I know you and you and uh, you have uh, definitely supported me in my recent adventures into to ham radio. But was that something as a child you were interested to or you just went to Hamfest at this point for, for access to buy computer? Equipment? Yeah, at, the, at this time, it was, you know, for the microcomputer aspect. Um, my okay. dad, one of the guys from uh, from work. This guy they called Boomer. I don't know his real name, but he was really into to amateur radios. And I think he he said you you should go to these ham fests. They there's an overlap between the kind of amateur radio and gotcha. the microcomputer yep. community communities. And mm-hmm. so it's just a great place to go and get used equipment, swap, uh, etc. And went and yeah, there was just a lot of hardware there. So my dad would would take me, you know, to buy. We'd kind of have a list of things that we wanted to get. Look around and. And buy them. Mm-hmm. Half of them would be broken. Like th- that was a sad thing. <laughs> like you know, I used a CGA monitor for so long because that VGA monitor that I bought used for twenty bucks just didn't work. Uh-huh. You know, and but that said, you know, it was it was fun going around and, and just seeing all the you know the stuff that goes on. If you haven't been to a ham fest, uh, you know, with COVID, I'm sure that <laughs> there hasn't been any or many. Uh, you should really check out some of the the large ham fests. They're really fun. Gotcha. Um, so we, we kind of covered, I think a little bit about your, your, um, junior high, high school years, uh, you along with, uh, Dop and Trent were, uh, one of these, uh, University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana folks. And, um, what was that transition like? So now you're, you're, you're moving to campus. You have a lot more access, but you have a lot more maybe work. And I, I think similar, maybe, did you carry the same, um, a- ambition and, and maybe, maybe it's satisfying pressures at home, but, um, were, were you more focused on, on the academic side of, of, uh, university or did you still make time to do your own experiments and, and kind of play in that space? Yeah, a bit of both. I mean, I, definitely academics were important. I ended up, you know, graduating with pretty high marks and made my parents proud, um, Etc. But I also got a chance and I moved to, to Thailand so. to play around. Yeah, <laughs> well, I did work in in industry for a couple of years okay, after that. Gotcha. gotcha, gotcha. Uh, but but yeah, yeah, I did. I spent a lot of time with Trent Dop um, and company. Yeah, Trent. You know, I ended Trent, up being on the same floor. Um, Townsend Four North. Huh? Yeah, yeah. T Four N. That's the one. Um, Josh. So on, on Trent's episode, he also mentioned um, the Nomad Linux project that that he was working on, and as I recall, you. Um, were involved at least early on with that in helping them uh, create kind of some of the the, de- the installer dependencies and things like that. Did you, did you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I helped them. I helped with the project a little bit doing a boot disk. Um, they needed to bootstrap the system, you know, to have a, an install disk to be able to, uh, you know, something to boot to be able to start off the process of, of installing packages, etc. So I So I helped out with a boot disk. A boot root disk. Gotcha. So basically, in order to install the system, you have to have a working system. At that point in time, 
it was usually done in this like combination of uh, floppy 1.44 megabyte disk images, right? Floppy drive yeah, size. That's right. But and the boot disk would have all the drivers, and then halfway through that kernel booting, you would pass it and say, "Hey, I'm going to switch floppies," and it would decompress a file system off of the uh, second floppy that was kind of your into memory that was kind of your working space. Is that roughly how it worked back then? That that was the common way to do it, um, but that was also the way that could be improved upon. Um, and I found I wish I could say I invented it, but there was there was this uh, this root boot um, disk that had both basically it had, you know, whatever this gzipped kernel or at least enough kernel to be able to boot off of. Um, and then it was able to bootstrap a, a, a root disc that was actually on that same floppy disc. And uh, I think it was Tom's root boot that uh, was kind oh, of a utility okay. disc. And then right, I, yeah. I took that apart, figured out how it worked and how we could modify it to suit. And then, and then basically I believe we, we just, that we could have used anything honestly um that was a little janky in the sense that uh those two those those three and a half floppies were notoriously unreliable when they're mm -hmm. uh formatted it to you know as 1.44 but with this uh the approach they took they being tom's root boot that project was to reformat it actually as a higher um you know amount would be for data i think it was one point seven megabytes would actually oh, like be a, a higher density formatting okay that's really yeah yeah so it was a different was just the way the sectors were done if, if mm -hmm. remember I, I haven't looked at the the technical reason you know reason for this but basically most systems could read it and most systems could write it as well it, it wasn't mm -hmm. really an issue with the with the with your you had to have a certain floppy drive so the compatibility was pretty pretty good um but of course you know there's a higher chance that you're, it's also going to fail. But now, now with today, you just use a USB thumb drive that has way more oh, yeah, sure. than a limitation of 1.4 as opposed to 1.7 megabytes. It, it kind of gets back to that solving a low-level technical problem of like, okay, I unpack a little bit. I get enough to so that I can run G unzip, right? And then yeah. I get access to more space. So all told or whatever you can have, I don't know, I don't know what it used to, it's like something like four megabytes of, of like root disk space or something like that, right? Um, you know, using this like stage decompression off of a, of a floppy. So Yeah, and I believe a lot of this is seamless. Like it's just built into the, the kernel image, for example, um, and some of the you don't you don't need to think about it. Yeah, it's come a, it's come a long way in terms of convenience, but then it removes some of that like uh, you know, oh, in order to do this we had to figure it out first, right? So yeah, it's like, yeah. it's it's like a little bit harder to understand cuz even some of that is still going on, right? Like the some of the media boot sectors are essentially, you know, these same like 4 megabyte compressed images yeah, that legacy. look like floppy disks. Yeah, but I mean that's um I mean, that's just in my mind, good engineering that if it's not broken, don't, don't fix it. Yeah. Right. Why not make it so it's backward compatible a few versions or maybe since the beginning of the standard, like that's, I, I really appreciate when people consider no going forward. Yeah, we'll use this, but how do we make it so that, you know, we could actually retrofit this into previous things or leverage existing reliable code. So. Awesome. Uh, we we were only able to scratch the surface. Definitely going to have you back for for more college and and then hopefully a couple more episodes to get onto this adventure of of uh, of your traveling and and you know where maybe you know some of these technical skills came into place in, in weird spots around the world and and all stages and and your your work today is is really interesting as well uh, focusing on the security space and, and kind of IoT and embedded sector so ton of content there to to capture but wanted to give you a second um, any more closing thoughts before before we uh, wrap this one up yeah I wanted to mention my uncle um, Dr Richard Berry um, he's uh, he was pretty instrumental in in teaching me kind of electronics and. Uh, and some of the skills that ended up really helpful in uh, in grow at a young age. He was he worked at a, a neuroscience lab, and he had access to all sorts of electronics and and tools. He would um, once he once he realized I had an interest in in tools and in electronics, he would just he would shower me with gifts of like, oh, here's a old Tektronix plugin from an oscilloscope that the lab was going to throw away, so I saved it for you. Or hey, here's here's a box of switches, you know, and, and lights and 
you know, battery holders and all sorts of things that were, you know, that you wouldn't, you know, in a lot of cases he would, um, he would cut off the, the, the cord, you know, for the, to go into the mains power. So if it was higher voltage, I wouldn't, you know, plug something in and hurt myself. But at the same time, you know, he would say, here's all these boards, look at all these components on it. I bet you could harvest some of these, you know? And so he would teach me how, you know, he gave me a soldering iron, a desoldering iron with a bulb, you know, like, so you can suck up solder oh, that's so and, cool. uh, you know, and a roll of solder that like, I, I still have, it was one pound of a higher, kind of a higher gauge, uh, that, that I still have that role. I still work on that, you know, still, cause now, <laughs> now still as, come, as things get smaller, actually you use less and less, you know, with, with surface oh. mount things rather than the through hole thing. So yeah, so he was, he was really instrumental. He was really involved, very supportive. And, you know, I was probably eight or nine years old when he gave me a soldering iron and he taught me how to, how to solder, you know? And so then I just spent a lot of time exposing myself to lead during a very mental part of it. <laughs> I'm sure nothing bad seemed to happen. So it's fine. <laughs> but no, it was, it was great. And when the world gets back to leather, you still owe me a soldering lesson. So I, I'm just now trying to scratch the surface on on some of that stuff a, a little bit. So yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I mean, the, not that you can't learn off YouTube better techniques from better people, but but yeah, it's kind of when it's hands on, it's kind of nice. It's to have so a, yeah, I lesson. think it's 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 so pivotal to have that that uh, some of that stuff just to do you know under under the guidance of of somebody that's that's already an expert. So um, and you know it's. It's great that you mentioned uncles. I mean, that is a common thread here. And I haven't mentioned, you know, uh, I remember Rob in his episode mentioned uh, his his uncle, Steve Havermail, who who actually I knew as a customer and um, and uh, uh, we were also a customer of his at KSNI. But these these great uncles, these great dads, these great moms, it, it's it's really about the support system and um, really inspires me to, to be a better uncle. And, and I also had a, a, a great uncle who, you know, I had great parents as well, but they came from, you know, the biology and medicine. And uh, although my dad was a, uh, you know, a technology enthusiast, a lot of the early explanations I got actually came from my uncle Saeed, who uh, is an electrical engineer and, and, you know, helped us with a lot of our, our early computer stuff as well. So, um, you know, shout out to, to great uncles, great aunts, uh, you know, all the, all the people supporting, uh, you know, the youth, right. And, and yeah, helping people, exactly. you know, some of this stuff I think is really uh, fundamental, um, in terms of like where you can go with a career when you get some exposure to this stuff, when you're, you're young, kind of like language skills or, you know, all chess grandmasters start playing by the age of eight type of stuff. Like you kind of, um, I think there's some part of the brain that just has to be formed in terms of this, like critical problem solving and having a basic understanding of some of this, um, some of these things in order to build upon that for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah, I think it definitely puts you in a position where you have more advantage to that. I don't, I think there are probably cases where you don't need that, but it they're fewer and farther between, right? So yeah. it's definitely helpful to help our to help support our kids, our youth. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to start calling my nieces and see if they need any help <laughs> with anything. So, thanks so much, Josh. Uh, we'll we'll do this again soon. Thanks, yeah, buddy. Great. Take care. Dennis. Kev. What do you think about Josh? Well, uh, very illuminating. I did not know that Josh worked as a farmer and knows animal husbandry. And I, I came away from that thinking that Josh would be a very good character choice for the next time that I play Oregon Trail. <laughs> okay. Are you regularly playing the 1990s video game work on Oregon Trail? I went back to play it a while ago. Uh, cause I think I just found like some emulator online where you just play without having to install anything, but no, mm -hmm. regularly no, but, uh, it is pretty funny to go back and, uh, and, and play that game because it brought, it brought back a whole bunch of flashbacks of playing it, you know, like as a third grader and seeing the tombstones as you go along and like when you play in the mm -hmm. computer lab at your school, or that's at least what we had. So you would see something like here lies poop. He died of dysentery or something because people were, you know, being kids and naming their the folks in their their party uh, gross stuff. So, but uh, I digress. Back to Josh. Um, 
The one other thing I, that really resonated with me in a nostalgic way from his talk was uh, when he was mentioning all the stuff he was doing with the calculator work, right? Oh, and it, yeah, uh, and yeah, all yeah. the crazy stuff that he was doing with it. And, it, you know, the, I remember folks playing drug wars and that kind of stuff on their TA, TI-83s back when I was in school. Uh, and the 83s, only thing that, like the stats model, your real stats cap? Is that, wasn't that like the gray one with the blue buttons, the gray blue? Um, well, there's scheme? a TI-82, which is blue and didn't have a, a serial connectivity port. Then there's the 82, which is gray. The 83, which maybe gray is like the stats model. The 85 and the 86 that were dark black. And then the 89. Uh, The 92 one had like the QWERTY keyboard and stuff. Yeah, I think I had the 85. But uh, the only thing that I did with it, it wasn't anything really programmatic that that I did. But we had a physics teacher in my high school who had a very bad wit. Like hairpiece that he would wear, Ooh. and uh, sorry, father. Sorry, father. <laughs> not father Lyle, but uh, <laughs> father um, hairpiece. That's what I. Yeah, said. but uh, I just remember like <laughs> drawing a picture of this guy, and then I was like, you know, I think I could like animate this, and so turning it into just creating a whole bunch of still images on the graphing calculator, and then creating a program to loop through them, so it created an animation of like a little fishing hook coming down <laughs> and removing the wig. From his head, so <laughs> it's worth uh, the mean. It's yeah, mean. Uh, well, I guess now's the probably a good time to announce our new podcast, right? Calculator with, Talk with Den. Calculator <laughs> Talk, yes. But um, aside from that stuff, the other thing that uh, I thought that Josh was talking about that resonated with me, where he was talking about, you know, he, he always wanted to figure out how things work at the lowest level, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm am not a hardware person like like Josh is, but. I, I felt the same way about things on a programming language. Like, oh, okay, yeah, the framework does this, but like, what's it, the framework doing behind the scenes? And I kind of felt actually like that that almost impeded <laughs> how like efficient I was being as a developer mm-hmm. uh, because it was like, no, it does that for you. Just now take that for granted and then go do the next, like use it to build what you're trying to build and stop trying to figure out how this thing is doing what it's doing. Oh, right, yep. I, yeah. I can totally, totally see that. And yeah, like I always, you know, in terms of like Unix and stuff like that, I always, you know, but there was this like barrier to entry to me of like, yeah, I don't know how, uh, <laughs> how logic gates, you know, you know, thousands of logic gates work together to, <laughs> to create a processor. So, uh, yeah, usually when I get stuck on something that involves, uh, so, you know, like some missing concept or whatever, Josh is exactly the person I call it. In fact, like two years ago, I was getting into ham radio and I'm like, Josh, I don't, I don't understand this. Can you explain it to me like I'm a baby? And he's like, yes. <laughs> I have four, I now have officially five babies with you big, the, the youngest of them, Kevin, and he like adopted me and really taught me about ham radio stuff. So that's amazing. that was awesome too. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, he's it, it's just uh, it, it's really some some great next level stuff. Um, and but more than that, he is actually also that's like an incredible skill he has too is to to make to explain something that um, you know is is kind of fundamentally broke. Making things accessible like that, Dross was really pretty good communicator in that way cool well yeah i like to talk a lot uh sounds you know the the whole living in asia thing sounds very interesting so uh you know i definitely would look forward to catching up with josh once we're allowed to travel again and everything yeah hopefully hopefully soon so um all right well thanks dennis for um you know another reluctant fabulous episode 11 from you and uh <laughs> looking forward to next week our this is our penultimate season uh to let's call it a two part this is part one or two of a season finality huh season finale right? <laughs> fatality season fatality yeah <laughs> hopefully um, no fatalities involved. yeah hopefully but uh, yeah, the, the pen ultimate man, good, very good, good pull, oh, man. You're all over the uh, old the uh, old English. Fancy words, <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, the- <laughs> yeah, I've got the, I've got some new toilet favorites. Teach me a lot about words. <laughs> yeah, do you have um, some word of the day calendar that you got? No, no, no. But um, uh, yeah, so really excited to kind of bring this. So 
here, here's the deal is, uh, you and I are, are, uh, thinking about making a second season. But, uh, if you're listening to this and like, uh, would like us to make a second season, go rate us on your platforms. We want to see some movement. We want to see some traction. So, uh, try to get the word out and, uh, rate and review on your favorite podcast platforms and, if we get enough of those, it sounds like we're going to do a season two, right? Can you commit now that if you get a certain number, what's the number, Dennis? Dennis, what's the number? How many the number of reviews? Yeah, people are going to want look at. I want to. I want you. How many iTunes five stars and written reviews do you need before you make a, a podcast? Season two. Oh, oh, I'm in. That's, I, I, I'm oh, you're in no matter what? Okay, well, yeah. I'll just set a number oh, there. I'm Guys, in. there's a number. Rate so review on iTunes. Also, I don't even know what the number... <laughs> I don't even know how many <laughs> reviews are, so I'm not sure if I'm setting it Oh, Dennis, low. the podcast is doing great. We need don't one. worry about it. Yeah. Welcome okay, back to one. the second season uh, of... <laughs> of Shared Secrets (laughs) Podcast with that again. Okay, well, uh, thanks, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, bye. Bye.